Thank you for listening to our Celebration Sermon Podcast. Celebration is a worshiping community within Heart of White Ministries. We gather at 9 a.m. in the Red Brick Church Building on the Heart of White Campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Celebration community in Heart of White Ministries, please visit heartofwhite.com. This morning, uh, we continue in our sermon series, uh, Act Like Jesus, not because we can be Jesus or I need to be Jesus, but because we see in Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, several habits of life that if you invest in those habits, if you spend time and begin to know more and implement more, just like an athlete trained so they can play the game, there's habits, spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines that as you uh, invest in those, they'll prepare you for the game of life and of mission. This is focused on spiritual gifts, and it's a topic that I touch regularly because I've seen that this is how God intends for the church in our day and time to function and to do ministry and to grow and to welcome people. So many of the things we'll be looking at in the text today, I've said and will continue to say, about three years ago, I did a four-week series based right on here. As you hear some things repeated from before, let them sink in in fresh new ways and continue to form how you think and see. Uh, the world and what God is calling us to. I decided as well, I'm going to separate my whole text. Uh, so we'll have a scripture reading, a sermon, and then I want to close with exactly what follows from what you'll hear me preach. Having learned about spiritual gifts, we'll then get a picture of what it means to live in those. So just kind of warning you of where we're going and what we'll be seeing and doing. It's Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 3 through 8 that I'll be reading and focused on. I'm going to ask you out of appreciation for the scripture and for this moment if you'd stand uh, as I read. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. It's kind of his magnus opus reflecting on the gospel. And he says this, for by the grace given me, I now say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. I want to read that again. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you that as Paul was nearing the end of his life, having uh, come to faith after significant training as a Pharisee, growing up that way, then coming to faith, and then called to be an apostle and church planter, pastoring people, uh, into faith, and then as they planted roots, he would 
draw close to the end of his life and reflecting on that gospel, send this letter to a church in Rome, small minority of people in that powerful city. They would one day be persecuted. They would one day uh, find themselves the sole remaining power. Very interesting history to this church. But this letter, by your grace, was preserved even as uh, Paul had written it. It's been preserved through the centuries, and now we can take the scroll and translate it, read, prayerfully ponder, ask questions, talk with one another. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've superintended this entire process. So now complete it. Illumine our hearts and minds to receive. Guard your people from my brokenness, and instead, in the fullness of your grace, make yourself known to us. We make our prayer in the mighty name of the one who's given us hope. His name is Jesus. And all of God's people said together, amen and amen. As we think about spiritual gifts, and as we look at what the Scripture teaches us, there's a couple of key things that I want us to be aware of. Namely, it's this, that these gifts are grace-given. Gifts given by grace. Ponder that, because what I want to touch now is the mindset with which you read and listen to this passage. Lately, I've been using the metaphor, the picture of closed box and open box. Closed box sealed into only human cause and effect, just what we can understand, what we can create, what we can determine and control. Many people live that closed box view. But the Scripture calls us to look at the world with a different sense of expectancy and hope and surprise and discovery. The opened box, the opportunity for the transcendent God to enter in to our imminent world and life. And I was peculiarly aware this week as I read through this passage and meditated that if you read it with a closed box mindset, you're going to hear one thing. If you read it as it was intended and written with an open box mindset, you'll see a whole new vista of hope and joy. You see, if you read this passage that we've just read with a closed box mentality, then these gifts become something like talents that we have or personalities, skills. They need to be organized well, coordinated, made one. And I've heard inspiring sermons where pastors are trying to gather volunteers and get them organized for something. They're inspiring, but they function as if there were no God. It's a closed box. What are you good at? What do you like to do? What do you have time to do? What can I guilt you into doing? And then organize and get it done. You can think about this passage from a closed box perspective. I want to turn from that and point you to an open box perspective. The top is off. And God, God outside of simply human talents or simply human training or simply human organization, God in the person of the Holy Spirit can enter in. It's God who gives spiritual gifts. It's God who calls us together. It's God who directs us in mission. So I want you to keep this closed box, open box 
perspective and mind and, and ask yourself, are there times that I've thought about this or about Christian life as if it were no more than a closed box? God is out there, but we've got to carry on. Or could this be the moment that God kind of lifts the top and smiles at his deeply loved, fully adopted children, us? The open box is God himself, the giver and director. Friends, we were created for God to live a life empowered by spiritual gifts. Sometimes when I talk about the open box or spiritual gifts, I can kind of see it in folks' eyes. They, they kind of shift into that spooky twilight zone kind of, oh, the spirit. No, we were created to be empowered and directed by God together into God's good work. In that sense, it's perfectly natural. I've had moment, moments in my ministry where I knew God was gifting me for particular service. And yet most people didn't notice anything out of the ordinary. Some think it's just what I do from my training or enjoy doing because it was just my passion or talent. And yet I see the impact, I sense the presence of the Spirit doing things that I never could intend. No, these things function in an open box world. I'm glad to be trained, I work hard at what I do, but I see something at work far more powerful than just my ability or training. You can live in that life. Spiritual gifts are a work of God's grace. Grace. Grace, the noun, charis, expresses itself in gifts. The Greek is charisma. Do you hear the similarity? Charis, charisma. They're similar, like city and citizen. In verse 6, we read that the gifts are given according to God's grace. And we need to understand that that grace gifting us is something from outside the box of our own abilities or inclinations. Another important thing that kind of sets the foundation, this passage in Romans 12 runs parallel, if you will, to Romans, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. These two passages together connect two important gifts with spiritual, two important concepts with spiritual gifts. Both spiritual gifts connect to agape love, and spiritual gifts connect as well to the corporate life of the church. Now, we read it, and we'll read it a little later as well in Romans 12, uh, verse 9. Agape love must be sincere. Having taught about gifts, Romans 12, Paul then starts to talk about love and what it looks like. Last week, Aaron read from a passage in 1 Corinthians 13. We know it as the wedding passage, right? You go to a wedding and they read to you about love. That's why Paul just dropped that in there. No. Chapter 13 is between advanced math here, chapter 12 and 14. 12 and 14 speak about spiritual gifts. Love is at the heart of spiritual gifts, and we need to remember that as we think about what it means to live the gifted by grace life. And those gifts and that love serve in a corporate way. 
Romans 12, 4, for just as each of us has one body with many members, he's setting up a metaphor here, and these members do not all have the same function. We are yet one body. 1 Corinthians 12, just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts are one body, so it is with Christ. See, so you see, spiritual gifts are about the building of a body. We are not isolated. We are brought together. We cannot function without each other. And so these two things, spiritual gifts connect to agape love and the corporate life as a body are key. We need to realize these are grace-given gifts. There's three things these grace-given gifts play out in. The first is this, is grace joins us together. And I want to keep placing this here. It joins us together in mission. Romans 12, 5, we read it. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We live in such an individualistic age. People will be interested in spiritual gifts for themselves and for their ministry and for their benefit, for their uh, prospering, whatever it may be. God gives gifts for the sake of the body for corporate life together. By God's grace, we are born again by faith into a spiritual family, and that spiritual family spends time together. It's not some mystical or private or isolated work of God. It's not like we have a hundred little Jesuses running around here. We have 100 pieces of the one body of Christ, a hundred members who find fullness of identity as one. So, the second thing that these grace gifts do for us is that they equip us for mission. So, they join us together. The next thing we need to know about gifts is that they equip us. Let me kind of summarize some things from a larger seminar I've done. Uh, you can follow along in the sermon outline as I touch these kind of broad concepts. Uh, often, I'll spend several, a lot more time developing each one of them. I just want to race over them today. And the first one is to think about this. What is a definition of a spiritual gift? You need to know kind of what is God doing? What am I looking for? What will it be? You need to understand that to discover yours. And again, we're being very open box worldview here because the definition for spiritual gifts begins this way, divine enablements. It's something we can do. There's an enablement. God is uniquely a part of it for us and in the results, but it's divine in origin. We're talking about with spiritual gifts something more than just a skill or a talent. We may support a gift by getting training, by finding what we do well. I was a high school student leading Bible studies when my pastor began to identify boy, you have a heart to communicate the gospel to your peers. Let's get you some more training. He recognized in me a gifting and a passion. He added training. One of the worst things that can happen is when you give someone training who doesn't have the calling or the gift. Sometimes someone will start with a gift and a sense of calling They'll get so proficiently trained that they'll forget the divine part of that calling. A spiritual gift 
by definition, is a divine enablement. Second thing about, it's given to every believer. Turn to the person next to you and smile and with love say, that means you, buddy. Every believer, not just the ones that went to seminary, not just the ones that are beautiful and smart, that's you. If you're a believer, God says he's given you a spiritual gift. My call as pastor is to help you identify that, cultivate that, find where it fits into God's mission. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, again, the parallel passage. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. What is the manifestation of the Spirit in your life that's given to you for my benefit, for all of our benefit? That's the question you should ask for yourself. If you don't think you have a spiritual gift, either you're not a believer, come to faith, we can work on that, or you've never recognized it, or you don't understand what they are. God says He will give you a divine enablement for the common good. And that common good is for mission. That is to say, for what God is doing in the world, He is at work. He desires to include you and me in that together. And so, He's equipping us. It's an important. We can be a steward of the divine enablement. I sensed a calling to share the gospel, to preach, and so I added skills. That was stewardship of what God had given me. But we are not given a gift for our own benefit. The gifts that God give us, will give us are not so that we can be popular or successful or whatever. They're given to us for the common good. They're divine enablements given to every believer for mission, and that helps us understand their purpose. I'll say real quickly, what's the purpose of a spiritual gift? The first one is this, is to glorify God. You see that in these gifts that he gives to us, we become part of his mission. The second thing is that they are to benefit others. One of the first tests to see if I really had a call to preach was, is anybody responding? You see, Many times folks will come and say, well, I have this kind of gift, and you watch it function and you think, no, you have this kind of desire for that position, but there's not a divine enablement happening there. For instance, if I were to sit down with Justin and say, you know, I think I'm ready. I think I've got a gift to solo next service. Because of his godly discernment, the authority of his position, and his love for you, he would find a way to talk me out of that. You see, just because I think I have something doesn't mean that I do. It will function for the benefit of others. So the purpose of spiritual gifts is to glorify God and benefit others. If you will keep those two things in mind as you pursue identifying what God is doing in your life, it'll keep you right where you need to be. What's missing in that purpose? Ego. Spiritual gifts were not given by God to you for the cultivating of your ego. Can I be any clearer? When you see someone with a spiritual gift and it's cultivating their ego, breathe deep and be polite, but take a step back. Now, all of us sin and fall short 
I'm not about to say I've never been driven by my own ego. But every time I have, God has brought me to a place of repentance because no one of us is gifted for our own benefit. It's for the benefit of others. Serving based on God's grace-given gifts is, is Him at work in us for the benefit of others. It's actually motivated in our heart by gratitude. Having been loved, I want to love. The moments it's because I want to be secure, so I serve, something starts to break down. Because I want control, I serve. Think of all the false motivations there may be. No, spiritual gifts are divine enablements given for the benefit of others, and we function out of gratitude. Now, an important thing to think about, I'm focused on spiritual gifts, but finding God's will and calling in your life, finding your place in the body of Christ is a little more nuanced than just one thing. And so I wanna talk about the idea of what I call a serving profile. When I'm working with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, we're trying to get a sense of where is God uh, beginning to bring a calling and a gifting in your life? What would it look like to serve in, in light of who He made you uniquely? I think of three things. One is passion. This is what you ought to ask yourself if you want to identify this, your calling in life. If you have a child or a neighbor or a friend, and if they're wondering, what do I do with life? You want to help identify where is God at work? Maybe they need to come to faith. Maybe they need to identify their calling. This is the way to do it, passion. What sliver of God's mission gets me excited? What would you get up early to go do or talk late in the night about? It just kind of rings your bell. Here's an example from my own life. I want you to know I believe and support, love and appreciate nursery ministry with infants. It's great. It ain't me. If Becky were to come to me and say, we have this event and we have an opening in nursery ministry, can you help us with the nursery? I would say, Becky, I, that's an important ministry. And I'd look through my calendar and say, ah, but I'm already booked. And then I'd go home and find something to put in that time. But if someone were to come to me and say, you know, we have an opening in the worship team this Sunday. We need you to play bass. Why, sure. You see, that is not so much being evil as it is knowing your passion. There's things that I'll put the extra work in because it's close to me. Sometimes it's an issue. Sometimes it's a group of people. Sometimes it's a particular situation in life. But identify the passion. My guess is that with this number of people here, if I were to work with all of you for about two hours in the next 10 minutes, we'd identify about 10 to 12 different groupings of passions. Part of what I wanna do is identify one of those passions and get those people connected and moving. So it starts with identifying a passion. Second part of a serving profile is gifting. Third part is personal style. You see, part of who you are is who God has made you. Some people are extroverts, some are introverts. Some are planned, some are spontaneous. No one is better than the other. It's just kind of how you came out in God's creation. I know I need to identify those things because sometimes in equipping someone to serve, I need to give them a list of tasks. And they'll look at that checklist, get at it one by one in the right order, and boom. Other folks, you need to tell them, 
this is where we want to get, and they'll figure out their way, and it'll be better than I could give them. There's a serving profile, a way that we're made. There's other factors in identifying your calling and gifting. Uh, one that's important is maturity. Uh, different ones of us are on different places in the journey of faith, and different places to serve require a different depth in the faith. When we're looking for someone to serve on the council, we're not looking for a new believer or someone without experience in leading a smaller group or a ministry. You're looking for a different uh, maturity than someone who may serve with the Pinewood Derby. No one is better or more valuable than the other. They're all gifts from God. But you want a good connection with the maturity that's needed. Availability. Uh, I had an opportunity this past week to share a message on the gospel in the face of suffering with our middle schoolers. And it reminded me of a season in my life when I was doing a lot of ministry with middle schoolers, and I loved it. It was fruitful. But for the rest of my life, I do not picture myself sleeping on a gym floor with middle schoolers. That season is over. You will go through different seasons in life. You will have different available time. Uh, that available time is a key thing. We're not looking to add to people's lives. We're looking to help people place their lives in the time that God has given them. Different seasons of life have different available times. You may love, have a hospitality gift and love to see people gather, but your time is really squeezed. The prospect of doing one week to prepare summer service meals makes sense. Others of you, you're kind of in and out maybe just once a month, that same gifting, but at community night, every gift is available, is valuable. Every ministry is important. So God equips us for mission all these different ways. There's also the inside, outside. Some of you will serve what it takes to keep this going. Others will serve from this body in outside settings. Consider those who are teaching, those in business. I'm listening to a great book about the development of Chick-fil-A as a business. And part of what happened in Truett Cathy's life and leadership of that organization from 1946 to 1990 was him identifying where God was at work in people that right mix, right fit. He was in a gifted ministry outside. He was in the world of business. We have two people from Hardawike that are running for local office. Are we going to be their voting block? No, because a church is not a voting block. A church is a church. But we ought not to be surprised when God calls people from the church, gifts and calls them to step outside and to serve in business, in education, in government, in whatever it may be. So that's another factor that may affect things. For this equipping, for this mission, assessment is a helpful thing. There's different things. You're going to first have to self-reflect. What's going on in my life? You need to be able to distinguish between your driving fears and God's calling. So self-reflection is a key part of this. Another thing is outside perspective. Are there people in your life 
who can identify and affirm. You know, when I hear you say that or when I see you do that, I see a spark of the divine enabling you. God's at work. We have resources and expect to see more in days to come. A simple spiritual gift survey to begin the conversation. All of these were in the uh, newsletter on Thursday night that came in the email. Equipped to serve. Uh, Another way to reflect on your passion, gifting, and style. So there are resources. All these different things. And you begin to think of the different places and ways these work themselves out. We have and need gifted people for making this celebration service. There's space for volunteers on the audio team or working with the slides and video. We'll prepare you, equip you, oversee you until you're comfortable to enter in. We need people to help with communion preparation. Come early before the service. We need those to help with communion serving. There's greeters who look for who's new. How can I help them have a good experience? Coffee preparation so that we can stay awake through the sermon, right? I'm looking for somebody who'd be willing to be available to help folks navigate their phone and put on an app that would build a prayer life. I, I, I don't know what to do about praying. Well, that's not a problem. Can you help people put the right app and configure it on their phone so that they can pray? Do you see how the body works like that? There's space in the music ministry and choir, handbells, instrumental or vocal uh, ensembles. On community night, we're looking for people with gifts of hospitality and a passion to see community life. Those folks can cook, they can serve, they can clean. We have needs with our gems. Sometimes we need somebody who's got the gift of sandpaper to help them with their Pinewood Derby car. Begin to think about God at work in your life and how it can support what God is calling us to be a part of. Heart of white kids who are younger. Dinner prep. You get to work with um, Mary DeWitt. Neighbors Plus is one of our key ministries through, um, into the community. Five kids in a local elementary school would love to meet one hour a week with an adult who would care for them. Mary Lynn has been meeting with her student for a number of years now. Typically, they just play Monopoly and talk. And in the course of that, she's found her way into deeper. This girl, this student, has found her way into ministry. She's a part of what's going on, even as a child and even though her family isn't with her. Friends, I want you to realize you can make a difference in a community. Angie, she'll be praying for us in a few months. We'll talk about the alternative suspension program, a passion for kids in trouble. Willing to work one-on-one. We're hiring for great escape. This one even comes with money. We have two days a week through the summer. Eat up and meet up. Just help get a meal served. Somebody else does the cooking. And be around with kids to read books to them. Park to park. We run through the community. Hundreds of people. It's a fundraiser for Neighbors Plus. But it puts us out there. And for one Saturday morning in September... You can join and be a part of something bigger. Children's ministry with uh, Becky Visser. Nursery. Adventure week coming up. Staff another worshiping community. How cool would it be for Watershed to be able to have their kids cared for by celebration people so that moms can worship? Friends, I want to tell you that grace equips us for mission in all the different ways it plays itself out. 
And finally, God joins us together for that mission. He equips us for that mission. God directs the mission. It's his mission, not ours. I hope you're beginning to sense as I try to draw this picture of what it would look like to be a biblical community empowered by the transcendent Holy Spirit gifting us and leading us in mission so that you can be a part of what God wants to do in this community. It's a different vision of the church, a different vision of what it means to function as his people. You know, as I look around, I'm painfully aware of how much the church in the United States has been shaped by American consumerism. It's the Walmart approach to church. You come, you get what you want. Hopefully I'm inspiring. Hopefully we have the programs that you need. Hopefully this is happening for you. You come, consume, leave the doors and go about your own business. This is Walmart church, shaped more by American consumerism than the gospel. Gather a crowd by giving them what they want with programs, experiences, and inspiration. I often think of it as more BIS, BIS standing for body parts in seats. Gather the biggest crowd, because then you can also have more MIB, money in the bank. Gather the crowd, make it bigger, make it better, make it more dramatic, make it more whatever, and all of it can function in the closed box so you can control it. The vision I'm trying to cast for you that I think comes out of Romans and 1 Corinthians here is of a community of disciples in God's mission, sharing life together. Lives being shaped by the Spirit because there's more going on than just closed box life. Gifted and serving. It changes my role in an important way. You don't hire me to do ministry. According to the Scripture, I've been called to equip you for ministry, and we do that together. Listen to Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave apostles prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the, here's the word, the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Equipping people to identify what's the God-given passion that really energizes me? What are the unique enablements that help me be a part, be a part of a team, really, and to press forward in this ministry and mission? Leaders are given by God to equip. We have a different vision than just Walmart church, more BIS so we can get increasing levels of MIB. No, we're called to be a disciple a community of disciples in God's mission. Let me close by trying to paint a picture of an experience I've had in ministry. Uh, we ended up being at this church for well over a decade, and when we started our ministry there, there was a vacation Bible school that was struggling. It was usually the kids of the church, and we'd get together and do the best we could with them. I have a particular person, I'm going to follow them through what happened over the next decade with the fifth grade. They'd identified that they really liked fifth graders. They were still kind of kids, but they, you didn't have to change their diapers. 
They weren't quite middle schoolers. That was the sweet spot for this person. When they started serving, the Vacation Bible School was so small, and it was mostly younger kids, that this person took the fourth and fifth grade together. And that was a group that they worked with. But they worked with them and brought along a friend to help them, shared the load, did things together. Then we were able to call a new children's ministry leader, and there was a whole change in how we did children's ministry at this church. Suddenly, with this leadership and vision, we began to invest in our volunteers. More effort was put into training the people who would lead Vacation Bible School than in what you did for the kids, investing in volunteers. The goal with the kids was to present them the love of Christ. Suddenly, the Vacation Bible School in our church began to grow. It grew enough that we had to separate the fourth and fifth grades, and this person went with the fifth grade kids, had about 10, but kept that same friend going with them. By the next year, the number of fifth graders alone had doubled, almost 20. And so, there were now three adults leading groups of fifth graders, seven to eight. They would do things together, but break out into smaller groups. And because by Tuesday, they'd identified that two of the fifth graders were, what shall we call them? High energy. They were able to identify an additional person to bring on the team and spend their time with those two kids. So now there's four people with different gifts, working together as a team to impact the lives of fifth graders. It had started as a, a group of two grades because it was so small. It had grown to enough that they needed these people to give the time and the attention. In a few years, the number of fifth graders that showed up during that week was in the 50s. And so the original leader kind of oversaw the main teaching and content. That was an important place for maturity. They identified about five or six additional people to spend time with a subgroups, breakout groups. Those people didn't have to teach. They had to help connect in a smaller group what the lead teacher had taught. It was large enough and challenging enough that they identified one person who never came to class. They stayed home and prayed. A key intercessor who would pray while the one was teaching and the six were pastoring, if you will, smaller groups. By that time, we'd been able to identify people who weren't big on kids but loved crafts and were willing to do crafts with kids. So that fifth grade would go as a group. Each kid would be in a smaller group of anywhere from six to 10, and they would work with craft experts. They would be fed by food experts who would have the most amazing kind of food coordinated with the Bible lesson. We even began to discover that many of the kids in the 50 that were now in the fifth grade were from unchurched families. And so we were beginning to teach them the story of hope that they'd never heard. We quickly realized that many of them came with a parent who had no church connection. And you know what we did with those parents? We invited them in to be a part of things. We didn't make them a teacher. See, we had a key teacher. We had a shepherd of a smaller group, but we needed people to help get pencils and help pull the chairs out. And you know, 
You may be wondering about Jesus, not sure what to make of it. I won't ask you to teach, but I don't mind you helping kids get pencils and papers. So we found a place for them in light of their interest and what they could do. And we discovered that adults were hearing the gospel in a way and in a language they'd never heard before. Here it is, highly relational. All were welcome. All were involved in something bigger than themselves. Those believers served with uh, their gift at their level of maturity and available time. We invested in people growing in Christ. Friends, I want to tell you something. That was more than a well-organized program using hardworking, skilled volunteers to gather more BIS. God was doing something. He was growing people as disciples of Jesus and drawing them in to join in mission, to bring the gospel to people. I want to close, see if this will work, with a picture. It may be a little hard to tell, but those of you on the front, can you identify it's a mosaic of Jesus washing the feet? And I didn't take time to count them, but I'm guessing there's about 500 little pieces. That's from St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican. And it's an artistic representation of what might have been going on in John 13. And it's made out of hundreds of unique, distinct little pieces. Friends, I think what Jesus wants to do right here, right now in our time, is take you as one of those little tiles, unique, special, your own thing, but to put them together in a way that our world will see a Savior who would lay aside his glory and rescue broken people. You see, when the Spirit is at work to do his mission through his people, it shows itself in different ways. I want to close by reading the next verses from Romans chapter 12. It begins at verse 9. Deb, if you can just kind of follow along, I'll read and you'll see it on the screen here. You see, when a, a body is functioning, gifted for ministry, here's what Paul goes on to say next about what it'll look like. Love, that is agape, must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends. Let's read that again. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The body of Christ, equipped in ministry and living 
that life that expresses the work of the Holy Spirit in concrete, practical ways, like we've just heard in the next verses, is the message and the messenger with the hope of the world. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this time together, and thank you for the marvelous moment in which you've placed us in. The world might be filled with confusion. We ourselves are struggling with discernment and what next step. But we thank you that you have promised us and we see at the cross you have redeemed us and you will equip us and you will lead us and guide us. Thank you for what is ahead. Not a successful Walmart church for consumers, but a community of disciples living in the power of the Holy Spirit with kindness and gentleness, turning from wrath, welcoming with hospitality, gifted to serve in your marvelous and mighty mission. Thank you this day for your goodness and grace. We make our prayer in Jesus' name and all of God's people said together, amen amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our celebration community or how to support Hardawike Ministries, please visit us at hardawike.com.